Could it be that church planting is really nothing more than just good marketing, knowing your demographics, and selling the faith to those who, know, who you know will listen and have a need? Friends, today I want to talk about church planting and marketing. You know, sometimes you look at church plants and you wonder, are they not just using all the same techniques as any Silicon Valley startup, any kind of new company that comes out and tries to get a lot of attention and get people to buy into their company? Well, I want to start about that. I want to talk about that because we need to figure out, is it okay for us to use the same marketing techniques? Is it okay for us to try to get a church up and off the ground using the same methods, the same techniques as any business out there? And so in this episode of the podcast, this is episode number 11, season four of the Now's the Time podcast, I want to talk about church planting and marketing techniques, but I want to do something a little bit unusual here. I want to draw your attention to a podcast that I listened to recently that actually focused in on this and and followed one church plant for about a year. And it was just very, very intriguing to me and interesting. I, I listened to most of the, I think there's five episodes of this. Sorry, my phone's ringing there. Okay, sorry. Anyway, I think that there's five episodes of this uh, podcast. It is called the Startup Podcast. And they follow along with the church that is trying to be planted uh, to see if, you know, what, what it does it really take to get a church planted. And so I will leave a link to the Startup Podcast in the show notes for this episode. But I'm going to, here in a couple minutes, uh, play you a clip or two from at least the first episode that they did on this church plant in the inner city area. But before I get to that, uh, I want to also answer a number of questions, and I'll just let you know what's going on in this podcast. Uh, but I want to answer a number of questions. Uh, Jean sent me a question about new church that we're in, and then I think Rachel sent me a number of questions about uh, missions in general in Ukraine and in Eastern Ukraine, and my thoughts on uh, on some of those things. So I've got a number of questions that I want to answer for you in this podcast. But I think what I'm going to do is I really want to talk about this whole church planting thing. And so I think I let's start with the church planting and the book of the week or the book of the episode, whatever we want to call it. I guess I didn't have a book last time because we had the interview, but I'll share those things and then we'll get to Jean and, and Rachel's questions and we'll end out with that. So I'm looking forward to this episode, looking forward to talking to you. But let's let's get to this uh, podcast, uh, listen to a little bit of this podcast from the, it's called the Startup Podcast. And actually, the way I found this was I was, I was actually listening to uh, This American Life. I listen to This American Life podcast every once in a while. And they had a little bit of this on This American Life. And so then I went to the Startup Podcast and listened through to the five episodes they have about church planting where they follow this one church plant for about a year. And if you're a pastor in church leadership, I highly recommend you listen to it. It is, it 
I think it gives a lot of food for thought for us as far as how we approach ministry, whether or not we should or want to be using the same methods and techniques as a business startup, because that's kind of how this podcast approached it. But anyway, let's 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 listen to a couple of minutes. This is from episode one called Church Planting the Movement. Here we go. Two guys standing in front of a church who won't go in. It's a real problem for Christianity. The percentage of people who say they're going to church continues to drop in the U.S. for the last few decades. And to try to solve this problem, to save the faith, a movement of pastors, mostly evangelicals, are turning to the part of America perhaps most obsessed with growth, Silicon Valley. Every year, thousands of pastors start new churches from scratch. They call them church plants. And what has arisen is a world remarkably parallel to the tech industry, with investors and incubators and growth metrics. But for Jesus. There are mogul-like pastors who have grown small churches into megachurches, with congregations in the tens of thousands. They go on book tours, they give TED Talks, and they appear on the many church planting podcasts. You're listening to the- Yes, new- you are. Sorry. You messed up my intro. Sorry. All right, you're listening to the newchurches.com Q&A podcast. We need theme music. There are angel investors. It's perhaps the most unironic use of that phrase ever. Mega churches who will donate tens of thousands of dollars a year to help get a new church off the ground. And the same way tech companies are obsessed with their origin stories, getting their start in garages, church plants have their own origin stories getting their start in, well. Over two decades ago, my wife Amy and I started Life Church in what was then a little two-car garage. As of today, our church meets in many different locations in cities across the United States. This is Startup, the show about what it's really like to start something new. I'm Eric Mennel. For the past six months, I've been hanging out in this world, the church planting world. Okay, I'll stop it there. I think you kind of get the idea where they're taking a lot of this from. And what's interesting is that this pretty much comes to the idea of church planting from a very secular, from a very secular perspective. That when the world looks at what the church is doing in trying to plant churches, they see they see Silicon Valley startups. They see franchises they see uh people you know these pastors using all these business techniques in order to get their church up and off the ground and you know friends i think i think that's a problem when the church when the secular world looks at the church and pretty much sees really nothing that different in what businesses are doing. Now, does that mean that we can't use some of the same, let's say, PR or something like that? No, I think that we can, but I think here's here's the balance that we really need to have when it comes to church planting or, or when it comes to church and, and ministry altogether. Number one, we need to realize that we are not building our own kingdom. It is Christ who is building it. He said it very clearly. And Christ can do it without any Silicon Valley startup methods or anything like that. So we, we cannot dare even, even think about 
relying upon those types of methods of getting the word out, of getting people hyped up, of offering people free things so that they might come, of turning your pastor into some sort of celebrity that will make people come, or having a bunch of celebrities come to your church so that other people will come, or making your service into some sort of a uh, entertainment time so that people will come for the entertainment, or what, whatever technique it might be that the you know, some business would use just to get people through the door. We, we cannot rely on those techniques because the fact is that Jesus can build his church. And he said, he said that to Peter, I will build the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. He can build it without any of those methods. And so we can't rely on those methods. And, and I think that, you know, for me, it's very helpful to go back or just to think about the churches in China, the churches in Ukraine, in eastern Ukraine, that have been kicked out of their buildings that have no place to meet. And guess what? Those churches continue to exist. Sometimes those churches are growing faster than churches that are in the free world. Not to say that we want that kind of uh, persecution, but what I'm saying is that you look at that and you realize that Christ will grow his church and we cannot manipulate people into the church we cannot we cannot get people to a faith in Christ through media and PR and all of that kind of stuff we can get people in the door and and you know I, I think that that can be helpful sometimes just to get the word out and get people in the door but then it, we have to come back to this idea of what has God actually called us to do in the church, in the ministry, in church planting? In fact, here, here's, here's an interesting thought for you. Do you realize that Jesus never told us to plant churches? I, I've thought about this for quite a while because it seems like there, there was a time, and maybe it's still the time, in, especially in North America, where if a missionary went out and said, oh, I'm a church planter, everyone's like, oh, yeah, 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 okay, we really want you to go out because we, we really want to plant churches. Find me one place in scripture where Jesus says, go out and plant churches. He doesn't. And I think that maybe one of the reasons Jesus never told us to plant churches, I'm not saying that we shouldn't plant churches. I'm not saying that we shouldn't organize believers once they come to faith. We should because we see that happening. But why did Jesus never tell us to plant churches? He told us to teach and make disciples. And I think the reason that maybe Jesus told us not, or, or did not tell us to plant churches would be because he wanted to make sure that we understood that the formation and growth of the church is of God. It is a Holy Spirit thing. It is a Jesus thing. And it is not just come down to the skill of, or the attraction of a very well-spoken pastor. It comes down to truth that is believed and then heart change that is worked out by the Holy Spirit. And so if you look in the New Testament, I mean, the Great Commission doesn't say, go ye therefore and plant churches. It says, go and make disciples. 
and baptize them. Uh, and, and that's the emphasis of the New Testament is on discipleship making. So as we think about this scripturally, I think one of the things that tends to really get confused here is the idea of success. And again, I encourage you to listen to that startup podcast because they talk a lot about what does success look like in church planting and and for them oftentimes success just gets just gets connected to a lot of numbers. Well success is when you have a church of so many people that are giving enough to support a full-time pastor. And it gets really, really wound up in the numbers of people, the numbers of the offering. And I'm not saying that numbers aren't important. I mean, when we talk about people, each number represents an individual. And we want individuals to come to a saving faith in Christ. But when it talk, we, come, we talk about success in God's eyes, you know, we can so easily manipulate the figures that it's dangerous to focus on them too much and make them too much connected to our success. And so what I find myself going back to is a couple of scriptural principles, and especially first and well, first and second Timothy, really, where Paul just gives Timothy such solid focus for his ministry that I think really helps us to evaluate what success looks like in ministry. And so, for instance, if you go to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says to him, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths Rather, train yourself for godliness while bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so what is Paul saying? You, you need to teach. If you're going to be a success, you need to teach the brothers these things. You need to be a good servant. Of Jesus Christ you need to have right doctrine and not listen to these myths and things but to be godly so so teach be a servant have right doctrine and be godly if you can do those things my friend I think that you are a success in ministry even though you may not have very many people, even though you may not have very big offerings. And again, I always go back to, to some of the prophets. You think of like Isaiah or Ezekiel. These are guys that they, they did not get any kind of big responses. And yet they were successes because they were faithful in God's eyes. Who got the big response? Jonah. But in God's eyes, he was not a success. I mean, he practically rejected God after God sent him. Then because he got eaten by well and spit up that he went and preached and then he rejected God again. He wasn't a success, but he had many, many people who responded positively. So uh, a little further down in the chapter here, first Timothy verses 13 
uh, 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, it says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. If we're going to be a success in the church, we need to be doing these things. Reading of the Scripture. Exhortation. Teaching. Th- that's foundational in the church. And notice that he doesn't say, make, make sure that you have a big billboard out in front of your church. Make sure that you have good, I don't know, <laughs> presence online and stuff. Again, friends, I'm not saying we can't do any of that stuff, but we need to understand their position. We need to understand that those things, yes, we can do them. We can have PR. We can we can use media and things like that, but we have to come down. Those are not vital to success in the church, vital to success in the church. And the things that, that the, the leadership of the church ought to focus on are scripture, exhortation, teaching. And then two more verses here, verse 15, 16, Paul says, practice these things, immerse yourselves self in them that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching persist in this for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers be an example of your teaching is what he's saying actually he says that earlier in the book be an example of your teaching and teach and do it in such a way that people can see your own personal growth in the faith uh there's another at the end of hold on let me find this spot here but at the at the end of first timothy uh, chapter six paul also exhorts timothy says but for uh, this is chapter six verse 11 but as for you O man of god flee these things pursue righteousness godliness faith love steadfastness and gentleness fight the good fight of faith take hold of the eternal life to which you have been called and about which the good confession in the presence and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So again, I think this is a, a definition of success. When we pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. And then one one more scripture, and that's in Second Timothy. In fact, uh, my birthday was my birthday was just a week ago, and so on Sunday, one of the pastors read this passage to me. This is core to what we do in the church. First Timothy chapter four, verse one through three. Or sorry, 2 Timothy four one through three. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is judge, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry (laughs) i mean that is not the instructions we need to be a success in ministry i don't know what is preach the word be patient exhort and teach be serious about it be 
have strength to endure when it's hard. Preach the gospel. I mean, Paul just really is very clear about what it means to be a success in ministry. And so much of that is just being about faithful in the preaching and teaching of God's word and in the personal application of it in our own lives and then in our patience towards others as we try to help them see how God's word applies to their life. And believe me, that does take a lot of patience. So I think, friends, we really need to think what it means to be a success in ministry because what we understand as success will determine how we go about ministry. It will determine what we emphasize in ministry. We think success is having a church of 10,000 people, which would be awesome. But if it's at the expense of focusing only on PR and getting people in the door no matter what, then I think we failed to be a success in ministry because we have compromised our ability to preach and teach and exhort through God's word. I want to share with you a book, friends, and if you remember, I think last time I said I want to have this little section called the book of the week. So the book is called Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. And I, I got this this book uh, quite quite some time ago, actually. And it, it is a very interesting book, a very helpful book uh, in the sense that the author shares some of his own experience of trying to do a church plant, actually. And in the midst of, of trying to do this church plant, they got into this idea that success is about numbers, that success is about getting a lot of people through the front door. And, and so he kind of, the author shares, the author is uh, Kent and Barbara Hughes. They share their uh, experience of trying to start a church and getting caught up in the success syndrome. And I want to share with you a quote little section of the book here that they have kind of towards the beginning of the book where they talk about what it was like just getting caught up into this success syndrome. And he, he says this, um, what, I, what I did not realize is that while rejecting wrong methods, he talked earlier about kind of trying to have you know, good methods for church planting and, and biblical methods and stuff. Uh, he said, while rejecting wrong methods, I had bought into the idea that success meant increased numbers. To me, success in the ministry meant growth and attendance. Ultimate success meant a big, growing church. Certainly, there is nothing wrong with the wise use of any of the above principles. They should be part of the intelligent orchestration of ministry. However, when the refrain they play, when the refrain they play is numerical growth, when the persistent motive is numbers, when the siren song becomes deeply sinister, growth in numbers, growth in giving, growth in staff, growth in programs, numbers, 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 pragmatism becomes the conductor. The audience inexorably becomes man rather than God. Subtle, Self-promotion becomes the driving force. 
When success in ministry becomes the same as success in the world, the servant of God evaluates his success like a businessman or an athlete or a politician. And how true is that and how much that connects to this this uh, church planting um, idea of church planting that is like a Silicon Valley startup. Friends, we have to we have to think about what we're doing uh, as we plant churches and as we engage in ministries so that it will not simply be a business endeavor that is only associated with numbers. All right. So that is that is that. Uh, I hope that was helpful to you. Check out the book. I will put a link to it uh, in the show notes for this episode. Now's the time. Season 4, episode 11. Okay, let's get to the questions here now, folks. Uh, first of all, I had a question from uh, Jean, uh, who is a good brother from Taylor Creek Church uh, there in Washington State. And he said this, I thought I heard you mention ministering at a new church in one of your video segments. Could you provide me more info on that or let me know if I misheard you? Love you guys. You're in our prayers. Okay, Jean, yes, you did hear that right. So we have uh, we have been ministering at Hope for People Church, which is here in Odessa, pretty much since we got to Ukraine in 2007. Uh, but we also have a sister church downtown called Tabernacle or Skenia in Russian. And uh, I have also had quite a bit of contact with that church, our sister church, have ministered there on an occasion probably, um, well, I would say probably over the you know, last few years I've been down there uh, four or five times a year maybe. Uh, to to minister with them and uh, ministered in, in other ways and other projects, ministry outreaches, stuff like that. But anyway, uh, there became a need uh, for uh, some more leadership in Skenia. Skenia is a smaller church or, or a tabernacle, tabernacle in English. It's a bit of a smaller church than Hope for People where we have been for quite some time. And so we prayed about it and we just felt God leading us to give focus more of our ministry time at Tabernacle Church, which is downtown. Uh, Tabernacle Church is a church of about 60 people. It meets in a bookstore, Christian bookstore, that is pretty much right smack in the middle of downtown. has some interesting opportunities there because there are a lot of international foreign students, and so they have a outreach to international students, that reaches out to students from China, from Turkey, from Africa, uh, many students from Muslim background, which was also intriguing to us, and we felt like something that we would like to uh, maybe focus some more of our attention on. So since June 1st, pretty much, we've been uh, focusing our attention at Tabernacle Church in downtown Odessa, and Although I, I still am on the pastoral uh, board at our church, Hope for People, and meet with them regularly, and I also still preach uh, once a month, sometimes even, well, last month, well, no, hold on, what is this, August, this month, did I preach twice? No, just once, I think. So about once a month, I do preach at Hope for People as well. 
and I still have some responsibilities there. Uh, so so that's that's the church downtown. I appreciate your prayers there because there are some great opportunities for ministry. Uh, I'll share a couple of things that we're thinking of right now. I've, I've started a, a men's group, and I'm really focusing on men men's discipleship. We're going through Philippians chapter 2. A little bit later in the fall, we're going to be starting up looking at the 12 disciples and Christ's relationship with them in uh, a book and a workbook by John MacArthur called, I think it's called 12 Ordinary Men. And also some, just like I mentioned earlier, great opportunity to evangelize and reach out to the international community because of the schools that Odessa has in downtown Odessa. We have many students that come that speak English. And so we are thinking of probably starting a English language service for uh, English speakers. Uh, and I know that, for instance, uh, <laughs> we had uh, this this past spring, we had a, a representative from the Communist Party of China coming to our church to learn Russian in our Russian outreach. And so there's this great opportunity to reach out to the international community. So I appreciate your prayers for us because that is uh, a bit of a new ministry. Uh, it's a little bit further from our home. There's a little bit more travel. There's a lot of challenges associated with it. Uh, I, right now I'm really working on uh, strengthening the men in the church through Bible teaching, discipleship, one-on-one uh, -on -one discipleship. And uh, my, my, my passion is to, to see... Uh, men who are strong in the faith, who can lead their families well, and who can accurately articulate the gospel and share the gospel with their families and with their co-workers and, and those around them. So, yeah, that's that's the new church, uh, Jean. Uh, it's not really a new church. Uh, it's, uh, it's a number of years old, but that's uh, new to us uh, a little bit because we're focusing our ministry down there now. So I'll try and see if I can get some photos or video uh, from our church in fact uh well i can share it on i guess in the show notes for here but um my preaching usually i'll put it on facebook um when i preach down there of course that's all in russian but uh, anyway it might give you a little bit of an idea uh, it's on usually on facebook i'll share my sermons from skinia okay let's move on we've still got a couple of other questions here that i want to answer uh rachel asked a number of questions about ministry in eastern Ukraine. And her first one was, what are the biggest cultural barriers to ministry in Ukraine, Eastern Europe in general? Well, I don't know. Eastern Europe is uh, quite a large area, so it, it does depend upon what country you're in. But I would say that uh, one of the biggest cultural barriers that we have is that many people would consider themselves religious or, or even orthodox. Or, or Christian, I should say. But usually that's orthodox, and uh, it's usually just a, a traditional understanding that that is what we do on Christmas and Easter. But it's a barrier because uh, people don't, <laughs> they, you know, they, they, they feel like they're okay. <laughs> so they feel like they don't need to hear the gospel. They feel uh, one of the things that Orthodox Church does, unfortunately, is it tells people that they shouldn't read the Bible. Yeah, I'm not kidding. They actually tell them they shouldn't. And so when I ask them, hey, did you read the Bible? Oh, no, no, no. Or they might say, oh, I tried, but oh, it was too hard. It was too hard to understand. So th that's a big barrier sometimes to come across is you want to just open the Bible up with people and have them read it and understand it for themselves. They're not even open to that because they feel like that's something only the priest could do. 
but not th- themselves. Um, yeah, so that, that's probably the, the biggest barrier. But again, it depends on where you are in Eastern Europe because uh, some, well, I guess that would be more Central Europe. More, most, most Eastern Europe, European countries are fairly Orthodox or Western. Ukraine has more Catholic, but that's a similar, you know, similar problem there. Okay, question two from Rachel. Do you find most people receptive to your message? Well, I would say this. I, I don't find like a, a big, you know, pushback against the gospel in Ukraine, thankfully. Uh, at least not where we are. Of course, that's different in the separatist area of eastern Ukraine. But on the other hand, you know, there's not a lot of people that are really interested in hearing. And so my my philosophy, my approach that always is, is try and find those places where people actually want to hear. And it seems like they're always there. And sometimes it's not where you expect they are, you know. Again, this kind of comes back to the numbers issue. Uh, it's summer now. There's a lot of people on the beach. You can go out. You can preach the gospel to people that are out there. There might be within your hearing, you know, a hundred people, more than a hundred people. They're not there to listen, and generally, they're just going to walk by. They're they're not going to. It's not going to phase them. They're they're going to make a long trip around you because they don't want to hear it. But there are people that want to hear it, and we find those people. We found them in a military base where we still have a wonderful open door to preaching the gospel. We find it sometimes in old people's homes and orphanages. We find it where where oftentimes where where people are having struggles in in life. And so I think that that we as Christians, we, we need to be sensitive to those people that are open to hear the gospel in those places because sometimes there's just places where people are just more open to hear the gospel and i really think that we need to focus on those places and preach the gospel there so that's kind of what we try to do all right question number three what are some of the most significant tangible barriers i she says uh, resource related problems how is it different making relation oh that's almost a different question okay tangible significant tangible barriers hmm i don't know i i mean i I think you know it's just the biggest barriers that there's just there's always not that many people that really want to engage in the work of the gospel and so we just need more people that will be ready to give themselves to to just give themselves to the work of the gospel Uh, i guess that that would be the you know the biggest tangible barrier just just more people to do the work of the gospel and then she asked, how is it different making relationships with Ukrainians than it is with Americans? Is it different? Yeah, I think it is different. And I think that the difference is is that Americans tend to be a lot more friendly with a lot more people on a lot more shallow level. Ukrainians tend to be not as friendly with a lot of people, but on a deeper level with those that they connect with so that means it can be slower making those relationships that were get to the point where people will really trust you and be ready to listen to you um because again like i said ukrainians would i would say would tend to make fewer relationships but deeper relationships as whereas americans are you know what do they say <laughs> like a mile wide and then like an inch deep or something like that like a lot of surface relationships but not 
very many close, personal, deep relationships. All right, question, next question. Do you feel lonely in your work? No, no, absolutely not. I've just never felt lonely. I mean, I have a wife, I have children, I have I have great church members. Uh, I just, I've never, ever felt lonely. I have, I have Christ. Uh, so no, I don't feel lonely. Uh, next question. Where do you see the greatest need for workers? The greatest need is people who know Scripture well, who live Scripture well, who have a burning desire and passion to glorify God and who want to help other people do that. I know, maybe that just that sounds like way too general or something. But the reality is that those people are few. <laughs> There's just not many, many of them. And I see that as the greatest need. Is we just need people who are able and ready and willing to engage in discipleship. That's what we need. All right, next question. What about working in eastern Ukraine brings you the most joy? Oh, there's a lot of things. But I would say personally, opportunities to preach the gospel to people who have never held a Bible, read a Bible, or heard the clear gospel message. That's a great joy. And it's a great joy when those people then come to you with, with deeper questions and a sincere interest in knowing more about the gospel. That's really wonderful. I really like that. All right, next question. If someone had the goal of entering ministry in Ukraine or Eastern Europe in general, how could they best prepare themselves? Well, first of all, <laughs> you should probably read my book, <laughs> Is God Calling You to Missions? No, seriously. Um, no, actually, that, that would be a good place to start. It might help clarify how God is calling you. My book, 10 Questions to Help You Determine Whether God is Calling You into Missions. And, but as far as preparing yourself, you need to work on studying God's word and making it real in your own life. And you need to engage in ministry in whatever church context you're in right now. Don't waste any time. Don't think that ministry is going to start once you get into another country. Do it now. Just find a ministry, whatever the opportunity is. Don't be too picky. Go to your pastor and ask him where he wants you to serve and take the next six months and give yourself to that ministry and see where it will lead you. I'm not saying you have to do that ministry forever, but do ministries that you're uncomfortable with. Do ministries that you think maybe that's not your cup of tea because you might find out something different. You might find that, Actually, God is using you greatly in that ministry. 
And that ministry might lead to another ministry. You might find out that that ministry is not for you. Well, that's okay. Then you can move on to another ministry. But don't sit on your hands. Don't wait for a voice from heaven. Don't think that it'll all of a sudden happen when you get to another country. Do ministry now. And you will be so much better prepared and able to take on the task of ministry when you enter into a new country where everything becomes 10 times harder because you don't know the language, you're unfamiliar with the culture, and everything is just a little weird. So that's that's my advice. That's the best way to prepare yourselves is to do ministry. And maybe the other thing I would say, and actually I do have a section in this on my book about what you can do now to prepare for ministry or for missions, um, is, is find a good mentor. Find someone that can really help guide you and train you in godliness. All right, those are my answers to Jean's questions and Rachel's questions. Hope those were helpful for you guys and everyone uh, who's listening to this podcast. And, you know, friends, I hope that you are able to engage in the gospel and to do it in a way that is meaningful and that can help others to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Because that's what we're really called to do, isn't it? Uh, I hope that you have a chance to check out our website, sugofamily.org. You can catch up on the news there in Ukraine. I didn't really say too much about ministry or news here in this episode, but I'll probably try and catch you up in another episode of the Now's the Time podcast. But in the meantime, friends, we do appreciate your prayers for us. We are engaged in ministry here. It is a can be a daily struggle. Uh, it's a lot to do. But it is a blessing, and uh, we consider it the greatest privilege in our life to serve our Lord and Savior here in Ukraine. So keep us in your prayers. You don't get our email updates. You can find those at sukofamily.org slash pray. And if you'd like to support our ministry, you can also find information there on our website, sukofamily.org. We need your continued support. We appreciate that support. That's what helps us just to kind of keep our nose to the grind wheel here keep faithfully preaching the gospel and helping people to come to faith in a god that is good and that loves them and that will bring them greater joy than they've ever known all right friends till now until next time (laughs) blessings to you